I mean, I've had situations with borrowers where they just would not lower the price because they wanted to make that money where we had to take the property back and we lowered the price, sold the property, you know, and walked away from it where if they would have done the same thing, they wouldn't have had to go through that bad experience. And we don't want to do that. Um, we don't want properties. We want our money back and a return on our money. That's all we want. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, before we get started, I just want to talk about a few things. First of all, uh, I appreciate everybody listening. So go on to iTunes. Uh, Stitcher, wherever you are, and make sure you subscribe to the show. I'd love to have uh, everybody subscribing to the show. Uh, second of all, if you are a listener, if you heard our show, um, I'd love to get a rating review from you. So you can go on to iTunes. That's the best place to do it. I know if you might be listening somewhere else, but iTunes is what's going to help us out the most. You can go into iTunes and give us a rating and review. And of course, five stars would be what we would uh, appreciate. Uh, give us a rating and review. That's going to really help our show out. So that's what I ask of, of you as a listener. If you can do that, that'd be fantastic. Um, and then share, of course. Share this uh, out on you know social media and, and whatever you want to do to help, help that, that. That would be great. Uh, now what I want to be able to do for you is I want you to join our Facebook page and I want to learn just, I want to learn about who you are, what you've got going on in business, what's exciting right now, what you're working on and, and or maybe struggling with, and then what kind of advice, what kind of things should we be talking about on this show to help you accelerate your business to help you make it to that next level. So go on our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth Facebook page, and uh, and just give us some feedback or, or give give us some feedback about you. You know, I want to know what you've got going on, and I want to know what kind of questions you might have. Maybe I can't answer them. Maybe I can, but we can find somebody as a guest on the show to help us answer those. And then also, if you've got uh, any any uh, recommendations of guests too. I'd love to have them on the show as well. Uh, with that, I've been doing some coaching as well. And I've had been having a lot of fun coaching and, and I want to take on a few more clients, not a ton, but a few more clients. And so if you do have interest or you know somebody that has interest in getting a, uh, a coach mentor, um, I would love to just have a discovery call, see if it's right for you. It might not be, but it could be. And so that's what I'd love to do. And, and I didn't believe, honestly, in, in getting a coach until personally I, I had one and saw the results that, that have happened with it. And it's, you know, we go through and thinking that um, we can do everything on our own, but sometimes it just takes that extra push for us to be able to get to that next level. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is John Stiles. He's on our show every single week, and he is a licensed real estate agent. So if you are looking in the state of Minnesota, John can help you out. So you know if if that's the case, make sure you connect with John Stiles if you're looking for real estate, and he can really help you get to that next level as well. Get some investment properties or sell your investment property. Hey, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. And with me today, I have Ryan Wright. Ryan, how are you doing today? Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, absolutely. I would appreciate you joining us. Uh, Ryan, a little bit about him. He's the CEO of DoHardMoney.com. Almost 19 years ago, Ryan started investing in real estate and soon found out that it was difficult to get funding quickly for these properties uh, and quickly for from reputable sources as well. So having come from a real estate investing background, he wanted to provide a way for others to grow their real estate investing business by offering them short-term loans with no money down, no monthly payments. The solution was Do Hard Money, a private hard money company that offers short-term funding for real estate investors. Um, with that said, Ryan, give our listeners a little bit more about your background and then what you got going on today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Todd. I mean, I don't know if I had a choice about getting into real estate or not. Uh, <laughs> the reality is my grandfather, he did, uh, he was an HVAC guy back in uh, Southern California, you know, a long time ago. And, sure. you know, when his crews weren't busy, he bought a house and would fix it up and sell it. Or they'd buy a house and move into it and fix it up and sell it a few years later and not pay capital gains. It was just, you know, kind of his little side hustle. Um, you know, from there you fast forward, my dad, um, was a chiropractor and, um, he knew the way to wealth, you know, he, he started making some money and like, what do I do with his extra cash? And, you know, his CPAs like they don't make any more land. We only have what we have. There's no more land. So, you know, get on, on it now. And so my dad started buying plexes and, um, you know, he'd buy one paid off then buy another one, you know, every few years. And so I grew up you know, fixing them and cleaning them and watching, you know, these real estate transactions happening. And so, you know, when I got, when I, as I grew up, I'm like, Hey, I know I want to be a business guy and I know I want to be in real estate. So, um, you know, I got my license and, you know, then started buying my own rentals and then started uh, getting into a flipping and then got into lending and, you know, the path just goes uh, on and on from there. So really exciting. Cool. Cool. Uh, that, yeah, that's uh being involved in it at a young age, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what my kids end up doing <laughs> because <laughs> they're seeing it all over the side place too. And, uh, you, I guess you could either be really sick of it, not want to like nothing to do with it or, or the path that you took. So, yeah, I mean, we were, we were, we had a house we were flipping this summer and, you know, my wife, she was kind of doing the interior decorating and stuff. And so she took the boys, I've got two boys, took them over there and they're like, it's the stinky house, the stinky house. You know? <laughs> and so they're like, we don't want to go to the stinky house. And it's like, guys, it doesn't stink anymore. Like that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a saying on my wall, stinky houses make me smile. So yeah, well, that's, that's absolutely true. I used to flip a lot of houses and the stinky houses make you smile. You go into <laughs> Yes, I got one. I got one. Um, so you're still doing a little bit of flipping, it sounds like? I am. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, we'll run into deals or do some deals here and there. But the emphasis of what we do is really providing uh, capital tools, resources, and software for people uh, to get into the game or scale their business. Um, and uh, doing deals that most people won't do is kind of our specialty. Okay. So, so with this do hard money, um, first, first of all, why, why the hard money business? Why, why the money lending business? What, what made, what made that make sense versus, um, and again, you're, you are, you are doing some flips, but versus ramping maybe the flipping business up or ramping the rental business up. 
why was the hard money uh, the way that made sense? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, I don't know if it made sense. I think it was more my passion. So, um, you know, kind of from my story, you know, I've, I've done flips, I still do a few, I have a good rental, rental portfolio as well. Um, so I've got that I, I just kind of looked back and there was a guy that changed my life and his name was Dan. And um, when I was struggling to do some flips, this guy named Dan funded my deal. He funded my purchase. He funded my payments. Um, he funded my rehab. I didn't have great credit, but I didn't have amazing credit. Um, I didn't have a lot of money, but he believed in me. He believes in the deal and he funded that deal and many, many, many others. And he really changed my life. And so um, I had some investors or I, I, excuse me, I had some customers um, in the real estate as being a real estate agent where I liquidated a bunch of properties for them that were rentals. And uh, he came into town, he was from out of, out of the country actually. And he said, you know, we've been working together for five years. Um, I've got $3 million with your name on it. What should I do with it? And I'm like, hard money, like have no, because it was always so hard. You never know if they're going to fund you or not fund you. They changed their criteria. One day it was this, one day it was that you'd, you'd find a good deal and nobody would pick it up. And so I just like, we have to have a standard of what we'll do and what we won't do. And we stick to that. And we started, we started doing that and had these parameters that we told people up front and it just exploded like gangbusters. Cause at, at that time, um, those things just didn't exist and uh, funding more than other people would and basing it really on, I mean, hard money lending is asset-based lending based on the property, not the individual. And most people that call themselves a private lender or hard money lender are actually soft lenders. They're doing it based upon credit and experience and those types of things. So we kind of consider ourselves one of the last of the hard money lender type idea, which is really asset-based lending. If there's value in the property, you, we can do the loan um, with very few caveats. When did you start uh, do hard money? 2004. Okay. Yeah. We started out as a different name, but then, uh, transitioned to a global name. So. Sure. Sure. So, so as, as, uh, you know, do hard money in, in all four, you know, or the previous company, um, what, what have you learned throughout the years? I mean, you've got now 14 years of experience doing this. Um, You've done lots of loans, I'm assuming, since the, the, you know, the first loan. You know, what's different now from 2004 and what have you really learned uh, about you know, this business? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, a lot. Um, to simplify it, um, number one thing is one of the biggest mistakes we see people making is overvaluing a property. Mm -hmm. um, fall in love with a property, think the property's worth a lot more than it is, finding one comparable and falling in love with that. So overvaluing properties. So um, really, I think as people are getting started or they're, they're using the best case scenario instead of maybe uh, an average scenario. So I, I think that's, that's a big problem we keep running into. Uh, the other one really just comes down to under it. So overestimating value and underestimating repair costs. Yeah. Um, yes. It, it, I mean, we see it all the time. And the, and the problem that happens is they go shopping for the cheapest price and they get the cheapest price guy. And then that guy starts doing it and bails and then they got to get the real prices coming in and then they're upside down and it's a problem. And, yeah. and then that turns into a mess for us and for them. So we hate, you know, that underestimating the repair costs or not getting a reputable person. Um, and then lastly, just really comes down to 
Um, I probably say two things. The way that they're marketing and finding properties has changed drastically. And, and then project management, you know, getting it done and those types of things. Those are kind of the, the steps, I would say. So you kind of answered, you know, how do you, how do you value it, right? You take more than just one comp. Or, um, you kind of take the, the average and, and use that. Uh, any secrets for budgeting when we under budget? Um, and, and that's so common, especially for newer people, but even for people that are experienced, it's easy to under budget. So any like tips that you can offer? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest tip I can say is there's a lot of great software out there, um, that can give you the average costs of labor and materials by marketplace, by zip codes for what going labor is. And um, that's really helpful to understand, am I paying more or less than that? So I think that the number one thing is, you know, get a, get a good general contractor, um, make sure that, you know, they have some experience. Um, one of the things I like to do is get with the apartment association, if there's an apartment association in your area, because typically the, the guys that are doing work for the apartments are lower costs than the guys that are advertising. I, I call them yellow page advertisers, even though that's really not a thing. But the guys that have the big fancy trucks and spend a lot of money on marketing, it costs them a lot. They're spending 20% or 30% of their budget on advertising. Um, whereas if you go to like apartment association, you can get their vendor list and you can get you know, a good plumber and a good, you know, painter and a good, and then uh, get those guys to come do the work because they're typically lower cost because they're getting more volume and they're working through landlords. So I think that's a great way to do it. I think it's great to get references and I think it's great to use some software to compare those bids against what industry average. I mean, really, if you think about it, like if a house, I had a house that caught on fire one time, right? And so when I had made an insurance claim, the insurance adjuster went out there and took his little computer and walked around and did everything. And then he gave me a 50 page report and says, here's how much of a check we're going to give you. Cause this is how much we owe you with depreciation and everything else. Well, he needs to be able to justify that because if he got sued, if the company got sued or whatever the case is, he needs to have a way to justify that. And so now guys like you and I can tap into that same database of, of what costs are and get a really good idea for what a insurance adjuster would use for different costs that can really help us know. Now, lots of times I find those costs are too high because um, you can probably get a little bit of better deal and they're probably paying, you know, retail, but it gives you a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the other thing too, is if you're using those costs and you can get stuff done for cheaper when, you know, uh, you you open up a wall and you find out that there's, you know, you know, termite damage or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Now, you, now you've over budgeted. So you're fine. You can cover some of that stuff. So I think that I would rather see somebody over budget for a project than try to get really tight on their numbers. And then when something happens, you know, and that's, I think, a mistake that I see people make over and over and that I've made before is you get a, a bid from a contractor and that contractor is including everything you want, but that contractor has extras mm -hmm. oftentimes. And all of a sudden those extras add up to an extra three, four, five grand and you had a small margin in your property. Maybe you took the, the highest comp and you end up selling it for the middle comp and now... You know, you don't make any money. <laughs> there you go. You got to pay your hard money lender. Yeah. You make no money. 
Yeah. And, and I think the catalyst of that um, is really finding a good enough deal. So, I mean, the, the deal, the better the deal is, the more sins it can cover, yeah. <laughs> especially as you're newer, you know? So um, it really comes down to if you're, you know, trying to find properties off the MLS or using the agent, you're going to have a really, really, really rough time finding a deal that's good enough to buy, fix up, resell for a profit. Um, you've got to be doing off-market properties. You've got to be, you know, putting a marketing system together to find those types of deals. Um, I find a lot of people just delegating their success to an agent and saying, oh, I hired an agent. Nothing gets agents, and I am one myself, right? Um, but most of the time, that's not the right finding strategy that's going to be successful enough. And so then when they find a marginal deal and then try and shove it in and try and make it work, it doesn't end well in those types of scenarios. Well, agents are agents have their purpose, right? But 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 agents are retail for the most part. I mean, most yeah. agents are finding retail, and if they're an investment agent, yeah, they might be uh, niched towards investments, but they're you know not necessarily really digging in deep and getting the best deal that you can find. And so, if, if you're not willing to do it that yourself or build that system yourself, you're going to have a hard time, like you said, and it could be you know, trying to squeeze that deal in. Yeah. Yeah. And we love agents, you know, no disrespect for agents. We love agents. Yeah. Um, it's just not the forte. It's just not, they don't teach you in real estate school, how to find deeply discounted properties. They teach you the legalities on how to put a contract together and some of those things. That's really, that's really what there is to it. Yeah. And if you want to use that portion of the agent, uh, I think most agents would, would, happily do business with you and probably give you a pretty good price if it's just putting a contract together. And then the other thing that an agent is very valuable for, of course, is, is the sale. So. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we want everyone to list their property with an agent when they sell the property, the exposure, the pricing. Um, we want, we want them to do that. Yeah. Great. So, so about more about, you know, your, your company, um, you know, how, Let's take take me through kind of the the growth uh, and how you were able to grow your company and continue to expand it, continue to be in business 14 years down the road. Of course, you went through 2000, um, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. <laughs> <laughs> well, the six uh, the six wasn't as bad as the eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the six was great because your <laughs> prices are going up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, so I think the secrets to su success for us really were, um, we made a decision early on that we were not going to do loans that exceeded the FHA limits in the area. So if you Google, you know, FHA loan limit for whatever city you're in, um, FHA is going to come and say, if, if, this, uh, if this loan exceeds this amount, we won't do it. Because what we learned early on is um, FHA is 90 or 95% of the sales that are happening are happening to an FHA buyer. And, and what we saw in 2005 and 2006 was a lot of these lenders, they, they would do a loan for 100000 and then they would say, it's as much work to do a 100000 loan as it is to do a $300,000 loan. So then they start doing 300000 loans. And then they said, hey, it's as much work to do a 300000 loan as it is to do a half a million dollar loan. So they start going after those half a million dollar loans. And they kept ratcheting their way up. And it's the same thing we saw with builders. And it's the same thing we saw with investors. They kept saying, well, man, if I can make 
10 grand on 100,000, I might as well make 100,000 100, on a million dollars. And they kept ratcheting up. And that worked for a while. And so most people came to us and said, hey, you're crazy. You guys are working too much. You got too much staff. You're doing these small little deals, these small little deals. Man, one of my deals pays for 10 of your deals. And that was the feedback that we kept getting. Um, and then what happened is 2008. And everything crashed. Well, the interesting thing with that was the smaller loans, the smaller properties that were 100,000 or 150,000, they went from 150,000 to 130,000, right? But the million dollar properties went from a million dollars to 400,000. They had a 60% drop. And even now, in a lot of areas, the price has not gotten back up to where it once was. So even now, like in, in several of our markets, the lower end properties, the 200,000 or 150,000, have exceeded the values from 2008, but the half million or million dollar properties still haven't gotten back to where they were. And that's this whole FHA, um, blue collar type neighborhood houses that's why we think those, those are the best to invest in. And, and I would really say that's the key to our success in, in our growth and in our strategy as an organization it really comes down to that sub FHA. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard anybody explain it like that, but um, it's funny that you, greed got in a lot of people's ways, right? And greed oftentimes gets in people's ways and they think that, well, you know, like, like you said, well, why are you doing these little deals? And we can make, you know, in one deal, we can make more than what you make in 10 deals. And, and, and so they got greedy and that's what they focused on. And, and you're sitting back focusing on these smaller deals. And I'm sure maybe you got some deals that came back to you and you lost some money and whatever, but, um, you know, they got clobbered. Um, yeah we're the same way in our market as, as you just explained uh, the the hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollar houses are all back and above uh, where they were in, in 20, you know, 2007, 2006. And our million plus dollar houses are just, they just sit, they sit forever and nobody buys them. And I, I can think of a house right now that's beautiful house uh, about five miles, not even that, three miles from me. And it, it's been sitting, it's listed, you know, I don't even know what it is now, but it was listed at like 5 million and it's just sitting there. Nobody wants it. Yeah. You know? No, I, I actually bought, I bought a, I bought a house after 2008 and um, it was originally, it was a, uh, in the parade of homes and that type of stuff. And they were into it like 1.5 million bucks. And um, a bank I knew did the, the construction finance on it. And uh, they called me uh, and I was familiar with the property and tried to help them out doing a short sale and a few things. And uh, the bank called me on a Monday and we'd, we'd lower the price from 1.5 to 1.4 to 1.3. And we just kept lowering the price. And every time we lower it, we get an offer. So we lower it to 1.4 and we got an offer for a million. The bank would say no. We lower it to a million, you know, get an offer for 900. The bank would say no. 900, you know, get an offer for 800. The bank would say no. This is over the course of, you know, a year or eight months or something. And then what happened is the bank foreclosed on the property. And I got a phone call from the bank on a Monday morning. And the bank said, hey, it's a small bank. And he said, hey, um, I got a little problem. I'm like, okay, what is it? You know that house over there? Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that house. He's like, yeah, we got an audit this week and I need it off my books by Friday. 
And uh, what, what happened to those buyers you had? And I'm like, they're long gone. You chased them off. Like we've been going through this for months. And he's like, I need it off my books. And I said, well, the only one crazy enough to buy that thing is me. And he's like, okay, half a million bucks and it's yours. I'm like, um, uh, uh, interesting. And maybe it was 550. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, if you do the financing at 3% and I don't have to personally guarantee the loan, then you may have a deal, no money down, you know, non-personal guarantee. Um, you know, so I like, okay, you got a deal. Um, my wife didn't know about this. So I call my wife. I'm like, Hey, you remember that house over there? Yeah. I just bought it and we're going to close on Friday. <laughs> so, you know, we bought that thing and moved into the house and I really, it was an investment play for me. I'm like, Hey, I'm buying this thing for a half a million. It cost 1.1 million to construct. We're going to make a fortune. We're going to sell this thing in two years, no capital gains. Um, and the reality is, is two or three years later, we sold it for $50,000 more than we paid for it. And we probably dumped 50 or 75,000 into the house anyway. And still that house, even now it just sold to somebody else, you know, four years later or something. And they sold it for like six fifty or $700,000. I mean, and, and this was the cost to construct. I know the cost to construct was like a million or 1.2 million bucks. Um, so, and that's the only time I've broken my own model. Now I lived in the house and those things. So I didn't do it you know, as an investment, although it was an investment, I didn't have personal risk on it. You know, I felt like it was a big thing. But I thought, hey, I'm going to walk away with a half a million bucks, you know, and most of it tax free, but it just, it doesn't work like that in, in yeah. most scenarios. And, and it can heat up like it did in 2008, but these lessons tend to repeat themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. But maybe, maybe it'll change. Like you said, maybe, maybe it'll heat up and, but it'll repeat itself. But I won't be playing in that market. But you won't be playing in that market. <laughs> but you'll be made fun of for not playing in that market. I will. I will. Yeah. And so, I mean, I give, I give that example. But from a lending perspective, we never did any of that. We said, this is our model. We're not going to, we're going to stick to it. And it really paid off for us. Cool. Cool. What, what advice would you give somebody that's trying to start a, a new business, uh, you know, such as a hard money business or, you know, any business, but instead uh, of starting a new business, what advice would you give them about successfully operating the business? Um, you know, the, the number one thing I would say, and it's going to come off a little strange is get help. Um, I think that so many of us um, as entrepreneurs, we try and pound our chests and we try and, you know, get to the top, uh, you know, and um, usually to get to the top, you're going to get there with other people. Um, I don't think you make the climb to Mount Everest without a team. Um, and um, that could be, you know, friendly competitors. That could be people that are other vendors that do things. It could be, but you don't get there alone. So whether that be having great employees to help you, whether that be having a mentor, whether that be, you know, finding a friendly competitor, whether that be adding value, but in the end, any, any business, any, anything really comes down to a value exchange is what I'm giving you worth the value exchange for what you're giving me. I'm giving you X, Y, Z, you're giving me money in return. And it's this value exchange. And you want to make sure that the exchange of value that you're giving is a little bit bigger than the exchange of value that you're getting. And the value that I'm giving is non-monetary, but I'm exchanging that for monetary things. And so understanding that value exchange and giving a little bit more 
And secondly, not trying to just do it on your own. Um, success is made through teams. Success is made through having people, mentors, helpers, um, uh, vendors that you're working with. Like the success happens as you work together um, is, is really my thoughts on, uh, on any business, frankly. Yeah, no, I, very, very good. I like that. Um, what's, a, what's your biggest mistake in business and how have you learned from it? I mean, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I think the, uh, I mean, man, I, the biggest is just hard. I mean, well, we've we'll made pick, pick just one of them. Okay. One okay. Of many, Cause I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I made a, a big mistake this year. Um, I made a big mistake where we were going to roll out a new product and uh, we've been putting it off and we had a bunch of other changes and we rolled out a ton of changes all at once and we didn't stair step into them. We just made all the changes and it, it imploded on us. And this was just in June, you know, um, completely imploded. I mean, it was tr catastrophic type of type of changes that we thought were going to be revolutionary. So we didn't do enough testing on that. We did all the changes at once. We've been putting them off. And so we just said, Hey, let's just do it all. We fell in love with the concept without doing enough really enough testing. Um, I think that's, I, I think that would be, you know, that would be my most recent one. Well, my second most recent one, <laughs> um, but that kind of the, the advice I would say is fail fast, really fail fast. So, you know, we gave that some time after four weeks, I'm like, this ain't working. We're pulling the plug on this. So I think being, being willing to fail fast and um, being strategic or, or, or thinking through and saying, Hey, being willing to say, I, I screwed up, man. I screwed up. So it's time to, it's, let's, let's cut our losses. There's this idea of the, the sunk cost fallacy of we've put so much into it. Let's just keep putting more into it and it'll get better. And this sunk cost fallacy, I think, hurts a lot of companies. And I think it's more about the pivot than it is about the, what you've put into it so far. Hmm. So, so if you were to implement that change again and be successful at it, what are some, you, you mentioned testing those changes. What are some other key uh, ingredients to actually implementing that and making that successful or, or a different change? Maybe that one just wouldn't be successful. But Yeah, I think uh, number one, one of the things we learned from this experience was um, making sure you're not making too many changes at once. So mm -hmm. what we instituted from this is what's called a change log. So every single morning in our executive meeting, um, we go through and say, what changes have we made? And we make a log of the changes that we've made by date because usually what happens is you make a change, you make a change, and then a couple of weeks later, a month later, it's like, what the crap happened You know, last month? And you don't know what happened. And so we instituted this change log so we can be like, man, something changed a couple months ago. What was it? We go back to the change log and it's just a Google sheet where we just put the change, the date, you know, who it affected. And it's not a novel. It's just, you know, oh man, we changed marketing. We went from this to this back then. Okay. So a change log, I think is really beneficial for, for the discipline. Testing, I think is, is really beneficial for us um, in making sure we actually have some tests to make sure that we're getting that. And then, um, you know, lastly, getting more information from the customer, speaking more to the customer and understanding what the customer's expectations, needs, and desires are um, become, become a bigger part of that process um, rather than just thinking you know better. Mm, I like that. Um, what, what are your 
goals as a company moving forward? Um, we're going to see about a 23% growth this next year is what we're projecting. Um, so, and we grew, uh, probably just shy of that probably 20%, I think is where we'll end up this year. So, um, you know, we're growing like crazy. Our, our kind of thing is we like to, we kind of champion the idea of giving opportunity to people that don't have it. Um, and it's a difficult um, industry. It's a difficult space to be in, um, you know, giving opportunity to people that otherwise wouldn't be called qualified borrowers to most lenders. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of training. There's a lot of, um, you know, making sure we're on the same page. There's a lot of things. There's um, trying to meet unmet uh, expectations or, you know, where they're thinking one thing and we're thinking another. So, you know, it's really about communication. So, you know, we, we're, we're looking to grow. What we really get excited about is helping helping people get, get into the real estate business, um, helping people. I want to be your Dan is what I say to people all the time. Like I want to be your Dan because Dan was the guy that gave me that first loan and, and I want to be your Dan. And I know that comes with struggles and trials and, you know, just like that, you know, I have other buddies that, you know, are come from the, the mortgage background and they're lending and it's like, Hey, you know, work with a better quality borrower and, you know, you have less problems, but I really get jacked up and excited about seeing a 18 year old girl, you know, do her first fix and flip and she makes $30,000 and, you know, it's the first deal she's ever done. And she just graduated from high school a few months ago. It's like that, that gets me jacked and excited. And so, um, that's, that's part of the passion. So we're really uh, doing more with that. Um, and trying to to have more of those those stories come to fruition. So obviously, real estate market cycle, right? We all know that. Uh, you experienced it firsthand. Um, so, what are you doing right now, uh, other than the the kind of the FHA uh, criteria that you talked about? Anything else that you're doing? to help prepare you for the next cycle, whenever, whenever that happens and however it happens, um, it kind of just protect you and make sure your company continues to grow. Yeah, yeah, great question. I mean, the nice thing, I was just on a panel just this last week um, up on the stage and, you know, what the state of the real estate market and what's mm -hmm. going to happen and what's going on. I mean, it's a hot topic right oh, now. Yeah. You know, what, when, when's the crash going to come? What's the crash going to look like? Um, you know, for us, first and foremost is that FHA, say sub FHA, you know, that's first and foremost. Second thing for us, we do short term loans. And so for us, we're able to adjust the cost basis. So if markets are going down, if I do a loan for six, eight months, you know, and then they pay off, I can get into another loan. So if, if markets are going down, I just get into a lower loan and a lower loan. If markets are going up, I'm trying to get behind the curve as it's, as it's raising. So um, having a short-term loan and not getting locked into something is a, is a big thing for us. Um, the other thing, we structure our deals uniquely, um, which gives us and the borrower a lot of um, ways to you know, get, get, get that deal taken care of if we run into a problem, um, not having to necessarily go through a lengthy foreclosure process um, by using an LLC and some unique things there that helps both of us out. Um, so we've done some, some things there. I would say the most is do short-term loans, stay sub FHA, um, do good business and have multiple exit strategies. If a deal goes bad for us, which we'll do everything to help it not, I mean, we have 
project manager, we have a project manager that helps the borrower make sure that that general contractor's prices are in line before we'll even fund it. After we fund a deal, that project manager is working with them every single week, go into the property, we go to the property and help them. And if they have a problem, we help them sort through it. So we have experts that, hey, we ran into a problem. They can help them say, well, here's what I would do and let's do this and let's you know restructure this. So we'll help them. We have a servicing um, we have a servicing department. They're talking to them every week as well. And then we're talking to them every two weeks. We're making sure they're pricing it right. Like we're here to, to help it be successful. But if it's not successful, we want to get out of it and get, get into something better as quickly as possible. So I think managing the process, having the right processes in place, being the sub FHA, and yeah. then knowing, you know, if you get into a bad deal, the best thing you can do is get out of it as quick as possible. This sunk cost fallacy of like, I'll just hold on to this. I mean, I've had situations with borrowers where they just would not lower the price because they wanted to make that money where we had to take the property back and we lowered the price, sold the property, you know, and walked away from it where if they would have done the same thing, they wouldn't have had to go through that bad experience. And we don't want to do that. Um, we don't want properties. We want our money back and a return on our money. That's all we want. Um, yeah. But we have to get that, you know, what, whatever that means. So um, not, not, have, not having that sunk cost fallacy. Fail fast. Fail fast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. A um, couple more questions before we wrap up. What's a, what's a favorite book um, that you can recommend to our listeners? Uh, this is a life-changing book. I mean, um, Atlas Shrugged. Have, have, you, uh, have you read it, Todd? I have not. But ah. I, keep on, I, know, I know. I keep on hearing, like, you've got to read oh. that book. Uh, Todd, to, just to put it in perspective, I named my firstborn son after oh. a character in Atlas Shrugged. Really? Okay. Yeah, there's not a lot of great names. If you read the book, you know, there's, you know, Daphne, Danconia, you know, there's some tough names. Um, uh, the uh, gal that wrote it was from Russia and came to the United States and saw what sure. capitalism was really like. And, but anyway, so my, my oldest son is named Taggart, um, which is a big part. It was the last name of this family that uh, runs Taggart Transcontinental. But Atlas Shrugged, I think, is this kind of psychology book about you know, capitalism. I, I, I love the book. I even, Anne Rand wrote it and I've got it, her signature and she's passed away, but um, it's a fantastic book, much better than the movies. They tried to do some movies and they're, they're uh, okay, but you don't get it unless you read it. Cool. Cool. I have heard it over and over. It's this like huge book. Yeah. And that's probably the, the biggest hesitation is I'm like, oh, I, <laughs> I look at my bookshelf and I'm like, man, I got all these books to read. I, I don't know if I want to buy this huge book. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's worth doing, you know, by the book, uh, you can also uh, listen to it as well. So yeah. I, I do that, but it's, it's very, uh, it's very insightful. Cool. Cool. Well, last question is what are your three pillars of wealth creation? You know, that's a loaded question because um, I think there's a lot, but I, I think if you're holistically for us, I would, I would say there's three. Um, and uh, we've talked about it. We've touched on these um, for our market and what we're in. It comes down to three things, you know, find, fund, flip, right? Uh, find it, fund it, uh, and flip it. Um, they, it, it seems, seems like just such an easy process. So, you know, number one is you've got to find those right opportunities. The money is made when you find the deal, 
not when you sell the deal. You realize that mm -hmm. profit when you sell it, but you really make the money by finding that good deal. And that's why I'm saying, hey, if you want to if you want to create that wealth, you've got to start by finding good deals. Um, and then funding, um, maybe that's a little self-serving, but it comes down to making sure you know a lot of people don't get started in real estate investing because they think nobody will help me, nobody will give you the money, nobody will do those things. I mean, we lend to people regardless of the credit scores as long as they're not in a bankruptcy and don't have judgments. But beyond that, I don't care what your credit score is. Um, you know, so that getting the funding or getting somebody that can help you, us, a friend, a neighbor, I don't care who it is, but the funding is an element. And then flipping it, doing the things necessary to get the construction done, doing the things necessary to get that property resold. Um, when it really comes down to it, find fun flip. And that actually can be applied to, I think, every business. Um, obviously in a slightly different thing, but you need to find the opportunity to be able to sell your product. Uh, you need to have good funding, good, strong backing. And then, you know, you, everybody's, I think, goal is to eventually either sell their business or, or you know, flip it to their, their heirs or, or whatever that is. But you need, I think that can, you can apply that to probably every single business. Well, and I appreciate you bringing that up because if you really think about it, it, whether we're making widgets or we're doing houses, the principles, like you say, are just completely the same. And I think the guys that really get, you know, the real estate business, they look at it just like a regular business. Yeah. I need, I bring in raw materials, that raw materials, a house, you know, I then have to add more capital to that to improve it. And then I sell that to an end buyer. I don't care if you're selling bicycles or, you know, you buy the bicycle, you put it together and you sell it. Like it doesn't matter. This process, this flow is the same, no matter what type of industry you're in. I just happen to be doing houses. Somebody else could be selling a commodity or a service, or it doesn't matter. But these principles, I was at a dental seminar where I spoke at for alternative investment. It's the same process for them. They got to bring people in. They got to drill and fill. They got to, you know, have good customer service and they've got to get paid for that. You know, it's like these, these, these things are universal. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I couldn't agree more. And actually that's like the main idea behind this podcast is I hear, I kept on hearing or at, getting the same question over and over from people is, Oh, how, you know, how do you be, how do you do what you did? And blah, blah, blah. And they, a lot of people just focus on the real estate itself and they focus on that transaction. They're so transactional that they don't focus on growing the business and the, that, that real estate's truly a business. And if you want to be successful in it, you might get, you might do one flip and, uh, or one real estate deal and it turns out great, right? That's fine. But that's a, that's like a, just a chance that it happens. Yeah. If you want to be really successful in the long run, you've got to run it like a business. And that's, so that's like, that's why I wanted to do this podcast. It's like, look, how do we do this? How do we make it successful over and over and over again? So it's not just a one-time deal. Yeah. And, and occasionally we have saying around here, occasionally a blind squirrel will find a nut, <laughs> right? You know, it happens occasionally and, and we kind of glorify that like, Oh, well this guy didn't, but when you set up the principles, right. And you do things correctly and you set up like a business and look at it like a business, you got to start somewhere. But as yep. you look to scale that, um, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Yep. I agree. Agree. Well, awesome, Ryan. Appreciate you joining us on the show. How can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about what you got going on? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've written several books. Um, one of them is How to Get More Money You Can Ever Handle, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Funding Deals. Um, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's 20 bucks, I think. But um, if you want a digital copy, you're welcome. Just download one for free for all your listeners. Um, just go to dohardmoney.com um, backslash pillars, uh, P-I-L-L-A-R-S. So backslash pillars. And you can download that book absolutely for free um, and read that. And um, I think it can help you uh, in some of the things that you're trying to do. Yeah, that's really valuable. I, I would I hope that uh, all the listeners take advantage of that. I mean, how to get more money than what you can handle. I think you said that's what it's Yeah, called. more money you can ever handle, a real estate investor's guide to funding deals. I mean, you know, one of the key principles is obviously making sure you're, you're funding, uh, you know, find, fund, flip. So one of the key uh, principles is making sure you find the funding that's going to help you uh, really be successful in your business. So awesome. Uh, we'll put that link in the show notes so everybody can uh, click on that and dohardmoney.com forward slash pillars. Uh, so everybody can click on it. Uh, well, that's it, Ryan. I appreciate you joining us on the show. Appreciate all the uh, value, the insight that you're able to provide us. I really appreciate being here. Thanks for the time, Todd. Yeah. Have a fantastic rest of the day. Will do. Hey, special thanks to Ryan Wright for joining us on the show. I appreciate him spending time with us and giving us a, a ton of value uh, on this show. Three, the, uh, three pillars for Ryan. First of all, he says to find, find opportunities. And then you have to fund, fund them and find the money, whether it's your own money or you know, using someone like Ryan to help you get the money. And then the last thing is flip, which is executing your business plan. Um, so a ton of good information from Ryan. There's so much more on this show that he was able to provide. So special thanks to him. And uh, you can reach out to him at dohardmoney.com. And we're going to put that on the show notes as well. Uh, for us, you can go to Pillars of Wealth Creation, Pillars of Wealth on Facebook. And, you know, let us know what you've got going on. Let us know what kind of questions you have, what you want us to talk about on the show. Also, we'd love to have you subscribe wherever you're listening, subscribe to our show. And then if you can, you've got to go on to iTunes. But if you don't listen on iTunes, it might be a pain. But if you go on to iTunes, you, you can give us a rating and review. And that would be fantastic. That really helps us push the show to the next level, get uh, more and more awesome guests on this show and just continue to be able to reach other people. So, you know, push this out on social media. That would be fantastic. And then uh, if you are willing to or wanting to go on to iTunes, like I said, and uh, give us a rating review, that would be, that'd be awesome. I am Todd Dexammer. I'm signing off. Make every day Saturday.